Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I suppose <coughs> um, I, 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 she was exposed to it at a very early age. I remember in September 1976 when there was a question of whether Ireland would revalue against sterling because of the crazy British monetary policy at the time. <coughs> and I asked my the assistant secretary, will you need me tonight to work to run the model? And he said, no. And then at 5.30, I was told, you have to stay. And Etna was doing her MA exams the next morning and expecting her second child in a fortnight. And I said to my boss, I have to look after my baby um, when she was 18 months and he said well bring her in so he looked after her and there was a meeting at 9 o'clock uh, at night to discuss whether we should revalue against Sterling and she was under the table not having signed the Official Secrets Act um, um, and maybe she imbibed too much economics at that meeting and it did her lasting damage so I, I, I wouldn't push anybody into it Hello and welcome to this episode of the Irish Economics Podcast Many of you will recognise John Fitzgerald there, who tells us the story of his daughter's unconventional introduction to the world of economics during a time when he was required to work late one evening with the Department of Finance. I think it's a fitting introduction to today's episode where we discuss ways into economics and hopefully we have some advice for students who are considering it as a profession. The structure today is a little bit different. In the early days of the podcast, I collected some comments from my guests who will share their experience and advice. I suppose I need to make an important health warning. Uh, these pieces of advice are opinions only, so please treat them as such. Perhaps a good way to think about it is think about it like a jumping-off point for doing your own due diligence. There may be opposing views, and that's the nature of discussions such as this. But the goal here is maybe to identify some blind spots, and we can highlight some important factors that you can explore and incorporate into your own decision-making process. So before we get stuck in, let me just remind you that I've set up a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Irish Econ Pod. I pay for this podcast myself. If you want to help cover costs, Patreon is a way to do that, but there's absolutely no obligation. I have some bonus content up there as a thank you to anyone who wishes to subscribe. So patreon.com forward slash Irish Econ Pod. Okay, so the first topic then is why economics? Well, Dara Flannery, who's lecturer at UL, gives a nice summary of what traditionally piques the interest of prospective students in economics. 
I think in terms of economics, there's a couple of things. There's the, there's the, there's the financial return that, you know, an economics degree does have a good return in the labour market generally, as the kind of evidence shows. But aside from that, it, I think there's translational aspects to it. You know, have a good understanding of supply and demand, have a good understanding of elasticities, having a good understanding of the difference between correlation and causation and data and things yeah. like that, and having a good idea of efficiency and equity. It, it lends itself towards a whole host of careers, you know. So I think concepts within economics um, provide someone with a really good platform for any type of career and I, I think they're interesting so these were views shared by many that i spoke to uh, i'll save you from hearing the same issues repeated but edgar morganroth who's professor with dcu business school emphasized the importance of economics as a decision making tool uh, one of the things you get with economics that is in in strong demand in 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 a lot of fields is analytical skills yeah. Uh, and numeracy and those are areas that that I think are, are always going to pr command a premium price in terms of wages you, you will you find it easier to get a job yeah. basically um, so that's that's I think something that's important that the, the analytics side of economics is really okay. really important and this is a decision-making tool of course that can be applied in many contexts as Liam Delaney explains uh, to use the phrase transferable skills, like I think I can't envisage any world in the next 20, 30 years unless something goes, com you know, completely different where ability to analyse data, ability to make recommendations based on data isn't going to be a really valuable sort of skill set across a whole range of different areas. So from these excerpts, you get a good idea that, you know, economics gives you a good analytical framework that can be applied in many contexts. So if that sort of interest you if you have an interest in how to make decisions and some sort of an analytical approach that gives you a structured thought process that helps guide good decision making well economics is very useful in that regard the applications of economics the applications of this analytical framework can be applied in many contexts and these contexts are wide from traditional policy and academia fields to those associated with some of the tech giants as John Fitzgerald and Edgar Morganroth both explain I think if you're interested in policy problems, yeah. income distribution, poverty, growth, unemployment, um, it, it, these kind of issues, um, then economics is important in understanding how you solve them. Yeah. Now, there's, there's high-end theory, theoretical economics where you may be rather far removed from these policy problems. Yeah. I've been... Uh, instead of beginning with the theory, I begin with, with the problem and say, right now, how do we solve this problem? So the, people with different backgrounds can come to it. But it turns out, of course, that economics is something that you can use in very different fields. And, and you know, some of the big uh, international tech giants, uh, the likes of Google, uh, employ quite a lot of economists mm -hmm. to do analysis, analysis of behavior uh, of consumers or producers. Um, and of course, it's useful in the whole policy area. Uh, so government departments now have economists in Ireland. We have the, the Government Economic and Evaluation Service, um, which hires economists. So there, there, there is a demand for economists and the types of skills that we have. So I'd be inclined to agree with Edgar. Many are aware of 
I suppose, the policy-related roles for economists, but less attention is given to some of the private sector data-related roles that economists can carry out. One thing I always tell people thinking of pursuing a career in economics is that many firms like Google and Facebook, like they have oceans of data, and these can be thought of as the raw materials. So they have all these raw materials, and they're working hard at developing tools to turn these raw materials into something useful, into useful information. Analyzing this information, turning the raw data into something useful, is often seen as a realm of the data scientist. And data scientist, I suppose, is, is a wide-ranging term and encompasses many uh, people of, with many backgrounds. But a data scientist can do amazing things with this data and produce very interesting insight. But their answers are only as good as their questions. If you are a data scientist who looks at the world through the eyes of an economist, well, then you can ask a lot of important questions. Of course, this is true for, say, behavioral scientists or sociologists who may have a different lens, but the analytical framework that comes with being an economist, uh, that's something that I would definitely draw attention to. Okay, so we've gone through some of the things economists can do, and uh, now we'll discuss the pathway to the profession. Maybe we can kick off with a few typical pathways when it comes to becoming an economist. Uh, Edgar Morganroth and Dara Flannery talk us through their experience. Oh, I've, I've had this sort of a circuitous route to economics, but I did, did read some interesting things when I was a sort of a teenager, 17, 18, uh, and I was interested in politics, and, and a lot of politics has to do with economics, and I, got, I kind of read a little bit. So that's where my interest into economics as a, as a s subject uh, first developed. Um, I then did a BA, economics and geography, and uh, um, I had sort of aspirations maybe to go into the sort of finance area uh, at that time. Uh, in finance, you know, degree in economics is not a bad idea. Economics and finance, very close. Um, so, so that's where, where, where sort of I was thinking. Um, in secondary school, in my secondary school, uh, when you finished junior cert, you had to pick certain subjects after your leaving cert, and certain subjects were in streams, so stream A, stream B, and economics was in one stream. Yeah. And I enjoyed the idea of it. I kind of read up on it a small bit. My brother had done it for leaving cert, and he advised me and read up a small bit that it was interesting. Yeah. And so I picked it. Uh, instead of doing physics or something like that, I think. Okay. So, uh, and then I had a really good secondary school teacher, like my uh, Derek Larkin, in art school in in Limerick. He was really good. He would he would basically come in with a pen, yeah. a marker, and talk through like that. There was no book, um, so he was really good. Uh, and then just that sparked the interest, I suppose. Um, and then I did a business degree here with the economic stream again liked it had good teachers here did the masters up and got you know so it kind of followed from that essentially and then yeah. a phd opportunity arose and, and you know i was kind of enjoying it doing doing what i liked so so john fitzgerald tells us his experience where economic considerations led him towards working in the department of finance during his early years i i, I did a master's in history but there was no market for economic history uh, so 
Um, I actually applied to LSE to do a PhD in economic history and was accepted, but no funding. And we were married, so um, and my wife was accepted as well. But so funding, so I applied for the Department of Finance. I thought it'd be boring and found it to be very exciting um, uh, that uh, I, I was working with interesting people with interesting questions and I learned a lot of economics and it, uh, I, I, so I, I turned to economics rather than history as a result of that experience. Dr Jacqueline Pless of MIT also gives good insight into how her studies in the US transitioned from a general interest focus to focus on economics. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I definitely was not one of these people that went to university already knowing that I wanted to be studying economics. Um, in the in the U.S. system, we kind of have some freedom to take some classes when we first arrive um, and to make some decisions later. And so I actually I started at university as a, a psychology major, um, really kind of without much of a clue of, of what I wanted to be doing. Um, so I was in psychology, but then also political science because I was really interested just in a lot of kind of broader um, policy issues, uh, things around climate change and health and development, um, just kind of brought policy broadly. Uh, and so I, I guess the moment when I, I, I learned that economics was going to be for me was um, just, I was almost two years into my university study at this point, and I, I still didn't really fully understand what economics was. I hadn't taken any courses in it whatsoever. Um, but my advisor, just uh, kind of hearing the things that I was interested in and what I wanted to be doing, and also that I um, I had a, a pretty strong math background. Uh, I was pretty strong in math, but studying things like policy. Uh, he was the one that suggested that I take a, an economics class and saying, you know, economics is going to provide the tools that you're looking for. So I, I kind of found myself really interested in trying to quantitatively say something substantial about um, policy or, or any of the kind of broader um, social issues that I was interested in. Um, and uh, he kind of said, you know, econ is, is one way that you can start to, to put some numbers to the things that you're interested in. And My own path into economics follows a similar approach to Dara's. I wasn't sure whether I wanted, what I wanted to do when I started my undergrad. So the most risk-averse strategy was probably just a general interest degree. And then I was finishing my BCom, and all of a sudden something sparks interest in economics, and a master's follows that, and then a PhD follows the master's. I suppose these are typical stories, um, but perhaps there are some pointers we can give on how to optimise the process. And these are especially useful if you know from the outset that economics is what you really want to do. Um, So here are a few ideas maybe that might be worth bearing in mind if you're thinking about economics. Um, Hat tip to Kevin Denny of UCD who offered some sound advice in this regard on Twitter when I put the call out there earlier on. So when I think about when it comes to doing economics and what's important, I would split it up into two categories. First of all, skills and developing an analytical mind. So when you think about skills and the skill set, you want to make sure the course you choose is best for developing a really strong skill set. When you come out of your degree, like you're going to be competing with people in the job market who have also have good exam results. You want to be sure that you're the best person for the job. And the best way to signal that is to show that you have not only a good degree, a good degree result, good exam results, but good subjects, good quantitative subjects. Quantitative subjects are, you know, the bread and butter in the toolkit of 
the Economist. We're talking about maths, stats, and if possible, some more advanced data analysis courses like uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence. So this is the first mention of maths and stats, and there really is no escaping it in economics. Um, these are core tools that a lot of economists used. Life is a lot easier as an economist if you're comfortable with maths. Um, and John Fitzgerald, I think, sums it up nicely. The one thing I would say is you probably, if you're going to do economics, you need to have reasonable maths. Mm. It's not that maths is, it, it is a tool in economics. It is not the be all and end all. But if you can't use that tool readily, then you will have problems. So as I said, the traditional toolkit for The Economist is maths and stats, algebra, calculus, statistics, econometrics, all that good stuff. But, you know, the likes of statistics and econometrics are becoming more, more and more useful and important as big data becomes more prevalent and we have greater opportunities to use these methods. As I mentioned already, a number of times data science is becoming more important and data science combined with economics, in my view, is quite a powerful combination. So if the opportunity arises to develop your skill set in machine learning, artificial intelligence, along with having that economist perspective, you have a strong, you're onto a winner basically when it comes to the job market. If you're doing a course that has more traditional set of subjects, maybe doesn't embrace the more data analysis type topics in full, you know, something like a summer course in machine learning or some of these online, online course era courses are worth considering. Okay, so... Choosing your course, getting a good grounding in maths and stats uh, is important. Alongside that, I think the second skill that's important is that of having an analytical mind. You want to develop your aptitude as an economist. In my view, training as an economist is largely about developing this analytical framework on how you approach the world. So, you know, an example I'd like to give is if you a thought bubble like you see in the Warner Brothers cartoons and you put it over an economist, inside the thought bubble will be supply and demand diagrams. You want to train your brain to work in terms of supply and demand diagrams. And that's something that doesn't come instantly. That's something that's developed over time. You don't just get up by cramming for exams at the last minute learning things off by heart. And, you know, reading, listening to podcasts, God forbid, can all help in that regard. Even if it's just, you know, light stuff like like this podcast or articles in the paper, John Fitzgerald's Irish Times articles are a really good place to start. And then that's a nice little, you know, route inwards and you can start reading maybe more books or articles, soaking in the information, helping develop that analytical framework. Okay, so when picking your course, of course, look at the Irish programmes, but don't be afraid to look to the UK or further afield. If you're getting top marks in school, if you know that economics is what you want to do, it's no harm looking into the top programs in the UK or abroad. This really was not on my radar, so my advice would be, you know, include it in your decision set. Of course, there are places like Oxford or Cambridge, but there are also top programs in places like Warwick or York, uh, to give two more examples. So worth considering also. Okay, so the next step would be to think about a master's. Some good advice is often given to consider moving to a different place than where you did your undergrad. The change of scenery is suggested as a positive and in my own experience I didn't realise that until I had encountered that myself. Um, when you're an undergrad, when you're, when you're in the early stage of your career, it sort of appears that everybody is an expert in everything. 
But the truth is probably that most people, if they're an expert at all, they're an expert in a very narrow field. And like-minded people tend to group together. So if you're in one institute, you pr- you could likely be around people who are an expert in one field. And unless you move, you think the world is compr- comprised of this particular expertise and nothing else. So for that reason alone, it can be worth your while to move. And I think the big benefit of that is that you don't necessarily learn more, although you quite often do, but at the very least, you're aware of different methods, different tools that are at play. And then later on in your career, when you go to answer a question, you can say, ah, this is a, a problem where we use perhaps discrete choice methodology. This is a problem where we use some other type of econometric methodology. You know where to reach to answer a problem because you maybe have seen it in a seminar or you've heard people talking about it. Another thing to consider at the undergrad, the final year of your undergrad or the master stage is an internship. This is something I didn't do and I sort of regret not doing because um, there is a great benefit in doing that. I worked at the ESRI and the Chagask, which have very good internship programs. And you see people at a very young stage in their career getting to work with great people on interesting projects. You get to understand how the work is done, get a feel for whether you like what you're doing and whether you want to pursue this further. Ideally, you would find an internship that's matched to your area, that you see yourself working, be that in industry, policy or research. And that would give you the experience that would be relevant. If you're interested in research, one way to go about that, maybe perhaps, is to talk to your lecturer. If you're a good student, no harm saying it after a lecture. You never know. They might be looking on the lookout for a good research assistant. Sometimes it can be hard to find a good research assistant, so they could be only too glad to hear from you. Worst case scenario, you spent a minute asking a question and the answer is no. So as well as developing skills, an internship can help you decide on what you're interested in. Worst case scenario, you rule out an option that isn't really a runner. Best case scenario, you fall in love with something and you end up following that particular area of work. Dr. Moran Lynch, who's a research officer with the ESRI, tells us about her experience on a programme which was not quite an internship, but provided a similar learning experience and kick-started her love for energy economics. I did, yeah. So again, I've got the weirdest route ever. What I actually did was the summer after third year, I did a, um, a summer research project called Energy Needs Ireland, and I did that... Um, through UCD. Uh, they had done it two years previously with 10 engineers and then they did it again. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> in 2009 with seven engineers and they decided to take on one economist and I was the one economist um, and I had a great time thought it was really interesting I learned loads mostly about electricity but also about energy in general um, and then I went back and did my final year but uh, I knew I'd, I didn't want to do a master's I was just I'd had enough of at this stage I'd been in college five years and I'd had enough of lectures and tutorials and exams um, but the the professor of engineering who had kind of facilitated the summer project uh, really wanted me to do a PhD. So I ended up doing one with him in the engineering department in UCD. To wrap up this section, I'd leave with a note for those who are a bit like myself and didn't go straight into economics. After your undergrad, if you're trying to figure out, well, do you want to still go into economics? I think a good question question to ask yourself is, do you like to argue? Do you like to look at something that is perhaps grey and try to see if there's more black or white? Because I think economics is very different to maybe engineering or maths, where you're dealing with a problem that's very much black and white. In economics, you're dealing with a problem that tends to have varying shades of grey. You're trading off one effect against another, and trying to find a solution often involves debating issues with colleagues to get to maybe the crux of what's going on. If that sounds like fun, then it might be a path worth pursuing. Alongside that, try and see if the shoe fits. Reading articles or books, listening to podcasts, talking to those who work in the field, starting a discussion on an economic issue and see if you enjoy the debate. If that's something that appeals to you, then you're perhaps well on track. A final note then would be don't be afraid to ask someone who's working in the field, such as a lecturer or maybe somebody you might have had some sort of experience with. Most people find it flattering when somebody essentially is saying, I admire what you do, I want to talk about it, can I ask you a few questions? Okay, so the next section of the podcast is to think about what you might do after your studies. And generally for economists, this can be broken down into three categories, thinking of academia or research policy or industry. One piece of advice I received on Twitter was to know your plan of action. This can be involving as time goes on, but it's worth planning out where you want to go, maybe with a professional or someone who's gone down that route already. And an approach I often take is to think about where you want to see yourself eventually and work back from there. Um, Okay, so thinking about these issues, if we first think about a research or academia, this tends to be strongly quantitative. One important criteria, I think, when it comes to whether you think you might be suited to research or academia is whether you enjoy learning for learning's sake. And if you want to learn forever, if you would have been happy staying in school forever and you want to make a career out of it, well, then research 
can be very rewarding in that regard. It's generally either very theoretical, and that involves a lot of mathematics, algebra, calculus, or quite applied, involving lots of complicated statistics. Either way, quantitative skills are very important. In my own view, I think uh, creativity is also quite important, because the whole purpose of research is to come up with new ideas, and if you're more creative, you're more likely to come up with a good new idea. Can you see something in the world around you and think, well, only if X or Y was done, this would be a lot better. That sort of vision, coupled with the quantitative skill set, means that you would be well set for a career in academia. I don't want to turn people off, but I think it would be remiss to not say that uh, one thing about academia is that it is very competitive. There are more PhD positions and postdocs than permanent jobs. That means that not everybody does a PhD and wants to be in academia gets a job in academia. And there are even fewer jobs then that get into top institutions. So success means working very hard, being in that top few percent, having the talent and the work ethic and the bit of luck that gets you over the line. Like everybody thinks, oh yeah, I'm a good worker, but do you want it enough to be able to trade off more than a few evenings and weekends to get there? Some may not have to do that, but the workload is tough in the early stages. And that's an interesting thought experiment to think about, well, whether you are interested in uh, the job to that extent. If you enjoy the research to the extent that it's borderline substitute for watching Game of Thrones, well, then it perhaps is uh, a good position for you. So one thing to take into account is that there's long lead-in times when it comes to research projects. They can take six months or a year. If you're lucky, it can be another year or two before it gets published. Um, and that's usually a good result. If you'd like a quicker pace, if you'd like to see uh, results and get that rewarding feeling of, of seeing uh, progress being made at a quicker pace, then research might be a bit frustrating. In terms of industry, um, industry roles are quite diverse. But when I think about industry, I think about um, the data science type roles that are quite quantitatively heavy. If you like playing with data, get good, get a good quants degree, focus on developing the skills and therefore there should be loads of opportunities available and we discussed this a lot already. The final category then is more policy or advisory roles. These are sort of roles that perhaps a lot of people will go into after a master's, some will go in with a PhD, places like the Government Economic Evaluation Service, the Central Bank, various departments and government agencies, um, alongside some industry bodies. A lot of cases here, instead of producing the evidence like what you might do in an academic environment, you're, in a lot of cases, taking that evidence, synthesizing a report to form a recommendation. It might involve some research of your own, but it's a different sort of context. Timescales are shorter. You have direct influence on policy decisions, immediate policy decisions. You're not waiting, not looking at long-term policy evaluation. You're generally looking at things that are evolving or anticipating um changes in on the policy landscape so it's a lot more dynamic in that regard and in some cases you could be working in larger teams or there's a bit more interaction than say academia which tends to be quite a solitary environment in a lot of cases so being good with the maths is still important quantitative skills are still important as a lot of these roles require um a lot of uh, quantitative analysis as part of your output but I would sum it up as if you get a buzz from having direct influence on decisions, this is definitely an area to consider. 
um, adjacent to these roles then are where you're perhaps more advisory. And a good example of this is um, Jared Brady, who is Chief Economist with IBEC. And he gives us some insight into the skills that are required in their setup. In the uh, private sector, there's probably three lines of work that we do mostly. Firstly, you're trying to talk to companies who are mostly non-economists, not all, but mostly non-economists, but subject matter experts in other areas. So you're both trying to learn from them, but also talk to them about economics in a way that's that's understandable uh, and that's kind of pitched at different levels. Um, the second part of our work is that you're trying to uh, you're trying to talk to policymakers about policy decisions. So on one hand, you need to be able to communicate um, and you need to be able to, to write. Um, but you also need to be able to understand and to be able to distill economic research and be up to date on, on the latest economic research um, uh, that, that's coming out in the areas of policy that you're interested in. And that are important. And then the third part of the role, I guess, is 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 trying to talk to the general public and and uh, and through publications, through media, um, to try and explain what's going on in whatever sector you might be representing or whatever job you're trying to do, whether that might be a, a stockbrokers or an, an individual company who are trying to get across um, some key point or insight from their data. Um, so the, the kind of things that most people are really, really interested in, I suppose, from a hiring point of view and from a skills point of view, firstly, you need to have a strong technical grounding. You don't need to be um, to be the, the best at um, at, uh, at the technical side of it, but you need to be pretty pretty strong. Um, you also need to be uh, to be better than average and, and much better than average probably um, that at communicating and at writing um, and being able to get across ideas. Uh, and the third thing that people look for is, is those interpersonal skills um, that they are so important, uh, particularly in the private sector, but look in, in public sector and in, and in academia as well. Um, that those person interpersonal skills become hugely important, particularly when you might be managing staff or moving up the up the ranks um, later on in your career. Um, so there's a continuous development, but there is a strong focus both on having a good technical grounding and uh, particularly in communications. And I, and I think there's a lot of uh, students come out with pretty good technical grounding and are around each other within a couple of standard deviations of each other in terms of technical grounding. But um, there's a huge difference between people in terms of how they can differentiate themselves on that communications and writing piece. That communications and writing piece is key. And finally, just to wrap up this discussion, another way to look at these options and whether they're a good fit is perhaps the skills required and the methods that you like to use. So Maureen Lynch of the SRI has a really great approach for figuring out what is the best fit in this context. I think... If, if you definitely like economics, but you're not so sure about research versus industry, I would almost say, don't look at your economic skills, look at maths. Do you, do you like maths? Do you enjoy maths? Um, are you strongly quantitative? Um, if the answer is yes, then research might be a good fit for you. Um, if the answer is, oh, I, I much prefer the, the applications and whether it's policy applications or industry applications or whatever, then industry might be a better fit. Um, the, what I would say about research is 
um, it's actually less about the topic and more about the methodology. Mm -hmm. So in the end of the day, what you do all day long when you're a researcher is uh, you're mostly either crunching numbers um, or you're writing. Yeah. Um, and when you're crunching numbers, you're trying to figure out, well, what's the best methodology to use and what's the best piece of software to use, what's the best way to code this and what's the best way to analyze these data. And it doesn't really matter what's in your spreadsheet. It doesn't really matter if you've got electricity prices in there or if you've got immigration statistics in there. What you're doing, your bread and butter is, is the methodology. Yeah. So it's more about what you want to do every day rather than what you want to do it with. Now, obviously, when you're writing up the paper, you know, you need to know the background and the literature. Yeah. But the, for me, anyway, the methodology takes up an awful lot more time than the writing. So I would say... Try to figure out what you want to do every day. If what you want to do every day is lots of quantitative work, and if you like maths, then research might be a good fit. Yeah. Whereas if you prefer applying things, then possibly industry or even policy might be a better fit. Dr Jacqueline Pless of MIT gives her take on her experience working in both industry and research, which is also useful insight. So I, I always had an interest in research, but I, I don't think I fully grasped what it meant uh, to be doing it kind of at this kind of PhD level or, or thereafter. And so it was, you know, the, the policy roles that I was working were somewhat research oriented. I started to realize that, uh, yeah, I, I definitely was a researcher. And in those roles, we could only kind of do a certain level or a certain amount of research. So that the space, you know, just wasn't kind of carved out to be able to sit and think and to to pursue the data work. It was more so that you did a certain level of research and then you had to, you know, largely the role was around communicating very technical things in a non-technical way, which is extremely useful and extremely impactful. Um, but it was then that I realized that actually where I where I saw myself fitting into this whole world was, was more so on doing the research myself. So perhaps these are the most common professions associated with an economics qualification, but it can also provide a solid foundation for other areas, such as journalism. Dara Doyle, a journalist with Bloomberg, was kind enough to tell us his experience. And as the kids would say, I slid into his DMs on foot of a Twitter discussion and he was kind enough to share this experience with us. Hi, this is uh, Dara Doyle here. I'm the bureau chief for Bloomberg News in Dublin. Um, I studied economics and politics in Trinity between 1990 and 1994. I did a two-year economics master's uh, eminent masters in trinity afterwards um so the one of the reasons i studied economics was i was always very interested in politics and it seemed to me that most elections were decided by economy so i wanted to understand how the economy worked so um i got a great grounding in trinity and um after i did my masters i worked in our journalism for a couple of years before moving to um, stockholm for bloomberg and uh, where i covered scandinavian economies and governments. Um, and then in Ireland, uh, I moved back to Ireland in 2005 to become Dublin Bureau Chief, so I've been here for a few years. So um, yeah, I think journalism is something to consider for economics graduates um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, there aren't that many people who understand economics and can write reasonably well. So if you have that combination, there's a, you know, there is a career path there, although obviously journalism is a tough business at the moment. Um, but mainly because if you're lucky enough to get a job covering economics, it um, can be great fun. I can thoroughly recommend it um, as a career when things go well. So that's it. Thanks. 
Okay, so the final topic I want to discuss is whether or not to do a PhD. So the first thing I would ask anybody who's considering to do a PhD is, are you sure? Often a PhD is labeled as taking three to four years, but in reality, it often takes four to five. And it's four to five busy years. You want to love it to the extent that it's worth some of your free time. And, you know, of course, other jobs take up your free time. Don't get me wrong, but you're often very well paid. So the reward for your time must be some sort of innate satisfaction in the work that you do. If you have passed the decision where you're thinking, right, a PhD is what I want to do, supervisor is absolutely crucial. You want somebody who is very well regarded in their field, is quite influential. Look at their publications. Have they published in exactly the topic you're interested in? If they haven't published in exactly that topic, are they expert an expert in this field in some way? One thing as well that I think is important is that, again, we're floating into the area of my own views, it's important to establish the outcome of your PhD, uh, preferably at the very, very beginning. Ideally, you could find your own funding from somewhere like the Irish Research Council, and that gives you the flexibility to structure the PhD according to what you're interested in. You can then set the program to suit exactly the outcome you want. Sometimes and quite often PhDs come with funding and that funding uh, requires you to meet certain milestones. So it's crucial that these milestones align with what you want from your PhD. And this is something that perhaps uh, would be very useful to, to set at the start with your supervisor on day one. And I think these milestones can vary depending on what you want to do after your PhD. If you want to move to a job in academia, the academic job market seems to be moving towards the model that's very common in the United States. So you want at least one top publication, this job market paper. This one job market paper needs to be the sort of paper that will hit a top economics journal and blow the socks off an interview committee. So that's exactly what you want out of your PhD. Ideally, that could be established at the start as this is an output that we're aiming for from your PhD. And if you can align that with whatever other milestones you want, well, then that's a mutually beneficial outcome. If you want a job in industry, perhaps the outcome is slightly different. You're not as interested in this uh, academic job market. I think an important outcome there is you want to be a whiz at all the fancy statistical techniques. You want to be able to go in to blow their socks off. And I think that's one of the factors that would blow their socks off. If you're interested in a policy type role, I think it's a blend of everything above. You want to be able to have good analytical skills. You want to have good economic skills and perhaps... Um, a better all-round understanding of all these different factors. Perhaps in a future date we can get somebody on to emphasise what would be important in the context of uh, a policy, for a policy role. One thing about applying for a PhD is that there's probably a long lead-in time for a lot of PhD programmes. Liam Delaney explains this quite well. And in terms of, I mean, obviously I went down an academic track. Uh, um, if you're doing that, you know, um, don't don't start applying in May if you're starting a PhD in September. That's something that really needs to be planned about at, at least a year in advance, if not more, because you have applications to do. I would actually say, to be honest with you if, you, if you're thinking about it, that's that's the time to start that. Another thing as well is I wouldn't rule out going abroad. So if you're, you know, a top student, if you're thinking that you could get a very good mark, it's worth considering doing your PhD research and and training at some of the top US programs. Dr. Jacqueline Pless, who's assistant professor at MIT, has some great insight into this, into the system as she's been through it herself. 
It's an involved process, of course. Um, I, you know, my experience is a little bit non-traditional, so, you know, I could, uh, I'll speak more to what I, I understand from others that have fully gone through the, the process of applying kind of everywhere or to the places that they were interested in, which was not my situation at the time. Um, but yeah, so we, the, you know, the main exam that you have to take in the U.S. Um, for these programs is the GRE. And, you know, the, the thing is, is for the economics programs, you basically need to just do extremely, extremely well on the math portion of that. The verbal portion tends to matter a lot less. Um, and unfortunately, you know, this is where connections tend to matter quite a bit. Um, or maybe, not, you know, not necessarily connections, but a network. So, you know, if you've developed in your undergraduate days some, some relationships with either U.S. professors or with your own advisor well enough and your own advisor has a decent network with some folks in the U.S. and that helps a lot through the process um, because it's, you know, who, who's writing your recommendation letter writers will help really draw attention to your application. Because um, otherwise, you know, it is really hard. These, these programs are receiving a ton of applications from people that are all extremely qualified. You know, everybody is doing extremely well in the exams and has you know, very good credentials and this and that. So trying to find a way to, to differentiate yourself can be tricky. Um, and I would say this is also the case when then you're at, you know, after graduate school and trying to apply for um, a tenure track professor roles. Uh, likewise, I mean, most, most people that get to that stage are extremely qualified and um, it's really difficult to kind of stand out when everybody potentially is a great candidate. And so having, trying to kind of build up that network a bit so that those that are, are writing recommendation letter writers for you kind of have, um, you know, I don't want to say friends, but people that, people that will like under, understand what that, you know, that letter from that person really means, that's, that's really useful. And so I can imagine, um, you know, I, I don't know exactly what the kind of like study abroad programs are, are like for you, but if there is an opportunity to come and spend, you know, even just a month or so in the U.S. and build a relationship in the type of program where you would be interested in studying, I can imagine that would be really useful. Okay, so if you can get over these hurdles, economics can be a very rewarding course of study. Alongside the academic merits, um, it's really an opportunity to create great friendships and networks, and I've really enjoyed that over the years. I suppose one final word of caution comes from John Fitzgerald, who would suggest don't get too friendly in lectures, or it could hamper your quantitative skills. However, I should say about economics that I found romance in economics um, uh, in that I remember a seminar on the draw the labour market when I was in first year and uh, I, I was listening and it was interesting and then this girl beside me asked some very intelligent questions and uh, I, she, she came to my attention and uh, romance blossomed on the back of econometrics so my econometrics isn't what it ought to be and we're sort of uh, 50 years on we're married Okay, so thanks to all my guests who helped with this compilation. I hope this is helpful to anyone interested in pursuing a career in economics. As I said, I don't have all the answers and there may be something that you don't agree with. If so, let me know. I'm going to, I'm going to treat this episode as a living record and hope to update this and repost again at a future date. Hopefully I can get some more insight into maybe more policy roles and be able to give more concrete advice in that regard. If you have any students, please share with them. Hopefully they would benefit from this. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider a review on iTunes. Five stars would be very much appreciated. 
Um, there's also a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash irishiconpod where you can chip in to cover the costs and I've posted some bonus material there for subscribers. Okay, well thanks for everything and talk to you soon.